Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks. I'm your host Graham, and with me is Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. We are a couple of movie fans that have YouTube channels, and we've decided that that is not enough of a burden. We've decided we want to talk more movies and add more onto our slate, so we've decided to start a podcast, and this is our inaugural episode. And uh, like I said, our YouTube channels you can find me at Man vs Film, Brian at Brian Lomax Movie Talk where we do random movie views, lists, so you tit-a-tat about various movies. Brian, what do you do in your channel? Uh, well, I, I really have three main shows. Um, kind of, I do the, your general reviews, your top fives, top tens, that kind of thing, but um, I started something called Movie Night Film Commentaries a little while back. It's me and three other guys that are around my age, and we literally we do a commentary. We watch a movie... You can watch us watching the movie and we just comment um, all the way through it. I've also started up something fairly recently called Letterboxd Sundays. So literally, I, I'll do that maybe once a week, twice a week. If, if, I've, if I've not watched many movies that particular week, I'll, I'll do it on a, on a two-week kind of basis. But otherwise, it's generally once a week. On a Sundays, obviously, because it's called Letterboxd Sundays. And I literally just go through my Letterboxd account, through my diary, and I talk about all the films I've seen, give my points, like little mini-reviews kind of thing. Uh, and the final show that is kind of a staple, or becoming a staple on my channel, is a show called IMDB Profiles, where I try to hook up with a different member of the YouTube community on each episode and talk about an actor or an actress or a director and we usually use their IMDB profile as a bit of a guide, just a, a pointer, something to to kind of springboard our conversation off, which is why we call it IMDB profiles. And, and that's pretty much it. And I think it's fair to say that we're both uh, fanatical about film, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, my love affair with film started from a very early age um, really took off with the film Critters and was cemented with the film Batman, directed by Tim Burton. And I myself spent most of my formative years in front of the TV, uh, not making any real friends, but spending lots of time in imaginary worlds and fictional settings on the TV, which for me was uh, just as good, I suppose, as, as the outside world, uh, if not better. <laughs> Our format is, is we're going to look at a sort of movie that's been out for a good few years, maybe longer, and this time you've chosen the movie, the one to start us off. Would you like to introduce your pick for this episode? Yeah, well, we went with J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek. Um, the obvious reason for, for picking that is that we are just about to be hit by the third film in the in the new series, um, the 13th I think if you want to count the uh, the series as a whole, uh, so yeah, I thought you know what what better time than to revisit the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film. I'm sure most of us have encountered Star Trek along the way in some way, shape, or form. I know myself. I used to watch the original series when I was young with my father. It used to be on. I think it was a, a Tuesday night. I used to sit down and watch it with him. Probably the next time I encountered Star Trek on own was the Next Generation when. I really started to get into it and I liked those characters the best and for me that is what I think about when I think about Star Trek. As for the movies, I've seen most of them with the exception of Insurrection which I've still to get around to but I've recently picked up the movie so I will get there eventually. But like I said, I've seen the movies, I haven't got encyclopedic knowledge about the series 
or about the movies. I've seen them at some point. I like some of them. Some of them I'm not that interested in. Some of them I really like. When it comes to the other TV shows like Voyager, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, I've seen a couple of episodes of Deep Space Nine. I didn't see anything of Voyager or Enterprise. I'm not really that interested to go back and visit them. If anything, I would go back and revisit The Next Generation, the original series, and probably the movies. And when I knew there was going to be a big reboot, I was actually quite excited about it, especially with J.J. Abrams doing it, like you said. What about yourself? Do you have a history with Star Trek? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think most people in, in some way have a, a history with Star Trek. I mean, like, I was never a full-on Trekkie or anything, but I certainly came close because, I mean, I've always been a fan of the movies and there was, there was kind of that unofficial trilogy with Star Trek 2, 3 and 4 where they uh, obviously started with Khan and then it, it was just like a story that kind of ran through those three films. And they were always on repeat when I was a kid, and I watched them like numerous times and really liked them. Uh, but yeah, I got into the TV series as well. Not the original one. I was never that big a fan of the original TV series, but The Next Generation, I used to come home from school, watch that. Uh, every I think that was on on Wednesday nights. I'd come home every Wednesday night and watch that. Um, and I really got into Deep Space Nine, as it happens. Not from the start, because I think the first couple of seasons were a bit dull, but once the whole kind of Dominion War thing kicked off, I really got into it. It's just that a shame that that series in particular had a terrible final episode. Um, Voyager, I, I, I kind of latched onto again, kind of from the midway point. It took a while to get going, but once the Borg came into it, uh, it, it really took off. And I would say that was probably my favourite of the Star Trek series altogether but I've never really gone back and revisited them I'm not that big of a Trekkie to, to want to do that I'm happy that I've seen them but that's it but I will revisit the movies I own all the movies and I do enjoy them to varying degrees mm-hmm. and so were you excited when you, you knew this was hitting the big screen again in a reboot fashion or were you a bit dismayed that they weren't using the original cast or any of the, the cast from the TV shows into the big screen I think dubious is the word I would uh, prescribe to it. It's, it's just, I, I had some amount of faith in J.J. Abrams because I was a fan of Alias, the TV series he did, not so much Lost, um, but I really liked what he did with the Mission Impossible franchise. So yeah, I was, I guess I was cautiously optimistic. Um the casting looked like it was a good choice from the trailers and whatnot, and the action looked like it was it was uh, it was going to be on form. The thing I think got me worried was that it was actually going to be turned into just an action franchise; that it was going to be too modernized. Um, I mean, like I say, I'm not I'm not a big Trekkie. I'm not someone who feels like oh, you can't break away from certain things within the Trek universe, but. I think there are certain elements you do have to keep, no matter how action-packed you make it. Um, you do have to still, in some ca- in some way, pander to the fans. Otherwise, it's no longer the 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 franchise that you originally started with. So you know, why bother in that case? But yeah, yeah, cautiously optimistic is is how I'd say mm-hmm. I was going in. Would you like to give us a a quick breakdown of the synopsis of the movie? Well, 
This film starts, it opens up with Kirk's dad on board a, a ship, uh, the Kelvin, I believe it's called, and he essentially is given command of the ship when a, a villain, a Romulan, comes through a black hole and basically just attacks them, destroys them. And Kirk Sr. kind of saves the ship, saves uh, many lives on this ship, and we learn as the film goes on that this Romulan is from the future and he has a serious vendetta against Spock who was unable to save the Romulan homeworld despite having promised that he would be able to do so. Um, so because of that, this, this guy, this Romulan, Nero, really just wants to pay him back by destroying his homeworld and making him watch. Uh, thrown into all this, of course, is the, the young members of what will become the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Obviously the main one being Captain Kirk, who's grown up with a bit of a chip on his shoulder after obviously having a hero father who, who lasted all but 20 minutes commanding a starship. Uh, and when he is kind of challenged, dared if you will, by a, a commanding officer, Pike... Uh, to to try and do better, to try and last a bit longer than his than his old man did, he accepts that challenge, and then that's where our adventure kind of takes off. I think probably the first thing I want to talk about is how they rebooted the series as a whole by bringing in the sort of time travel element of it. It was a a, a nice touch, and it gave them a a sort of step away. Now you've got the Romulans travelling back in time and they, they cause the upset with Kirk's father and I think in the original storyline Kirk's father was a, a kind of mentor figure to him and that creates a sort of wayward Kirk that we see in this movie but one question I have and I, I don't know why I latch onto this with time travel movies is when somebody changes a timeline doesn't that affect everybody else within that timeline? So when you've got the, the Spock Prime later on in the movie shouldn't he kind of sort of evaporate from existence within this movie should he could he still be there isn't he an anomaly in the time system well the, the reasoning is always explained <clears throat> much in the same way that it, that they did with uh, star trek first contact which is that when you're kind of trapped within the the vortex or in this case the black hole or whatever the device mm -hmm. is that is causing you to time travel you're kind of kept immune from whatever's going on in, in either timelines, I guess, until you pop really? out into, you know, the, the past or whatever. So, yeah, it is an anomaly, um, but I, I, I choose just to not think about that too much. It's obviously a setup for a story. You either, you either mm -hmm. buy into it or you don't. And for me, I, I accept it just because... Yeah, you know, he goes into the black hole. If he hadn't been in there, then he would have perished along with everyone else. But that black hole, for whatever reason, bizarrely protects him from being wiped out from the pages of history. I guess the reason that I started wondering about that is because when it gets to the Spock scene on that say, ice planet, I found that it really started to slow the plot down a little bit because he had Spock just pretty much given all this exposition that was supposed to be the turning point of the movie for Kirk and it felt very much like a, an information dump right in the centre of this movie that kind of killed the pace a little bit for me 
See, for me, I, I didn't have that problem as far as the information dump went. I liked seeing old Spock with young Kirk. I, I <clears throat> liked that kind of dynamic that one knows the other so intimately and the other one doesn't have a clue. Um, but for me, that scene itself, or the way in which it's set up, is it's actually my biggest gripe with the film. Because... <laughs> It, it all hinges entirely on coincidence. It's like, one, it's a coincidence yep. that Kirk just so happens to get beamed down to the same planet that Spock was by Nero. Two, it's also a coincidence that he just happens to get beamed down at almost the exact same location on that planet as Spock was. Um, <laughs> and three... It's also just a little bit coincidental that they should find each other in that, you know, in that desolate spot. I mean, even if you dump two yeah. people down within a, you know, a what was it he said, a twelve-kilometer radius from where from where Kirk is dumped, there's a Starfleet mm -hmm. outpost twelve kilometers kilometers away. Now I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but the chances of two people randomly bumping into each other within a 12-kilometer radius is pretty <laughs> slim. Um, but yeah. <laughs> even on a planet, you know, like it's, it's just, yeah, that, that whole scene to me just plays awfully. Now, I can do a little bit of justifying, but it only goes so far, mm -hmm. and it's not really there in the film. It's just kind of something you have to come up with yourself, which is that, my reasoning behind it is that, okay, maybe that Starfleet outpost is the only outpost on that planet. It looks pretty desolate. It, there's a strong chance that that could be the only human life on there, in which case Nero dumped Spock near there purposefully to keep him alive because he says as much that he doesn't want to kill Spock. He just wants to make the same thing happen to him that happened to Nero. He wants him to witness his home planet dying. Obviously, if Spock dies on this planet, then that kind of defeats the object. He wants him to live. He wants to, him to live with his guilt, with his burden of having seen his home world destroyed. So, yeah, you know, it, it stands to reason he's going to check for signs of life on this planet and dump him quite nearby. That being said, you've still got those rather coincidental odds of two people bumping into each other in, you know in in that space that they've been dumped it's just it's just a little bit yeah. too much of a stretch to me and it, it kind of takes me out of the movie at that point so while the dialogue i appreciate mm -hmm. the 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 mechanics of getting them there to that point is a real stretch yeah and i think it's something that you almost skip by because you're seeing Leonard Nimoy in it, and you're you're glad to see this character, and no, it's not just a glorified cameo. He's actually playing an integral part to the storyline. You know, it's like most of these reboots now they have a, a small cameo for the old cast, but it means nothing in the the overall picture. This time, Spock appears and he's integral to the storyline, and you're like, I know that guy. I've seen him before in plenty of other Star Trek movies. It's great to see him. I may just absentmindedly forget about all these coincidences that's brought them together. But I think it's on rewatch you tend to forget about that and that's when you start to pick the movie apart a little bit for not quite being as cohesive as it could be. 
and things do just happen, like you said, by coincidence. One of the things I really like about the movie and one of the things that I feel that they nailed completely is the casting, especially the casting of Kirk, who is uh, Christopher Pine. And I've seen him in a few other things and he's good, but I feel that he's tailor-made for this role and particularly the way they've set Kirk up is this kind of... Uh, anti-hero almost, you know, he's, he's fighting against the establishment, but he is part of the establishment at the same time, and it's a, it's a great cast, and his sort of bromance almost with uh, the, the young Spock in this was something that I didn't really like on first watch, but on second watches and third watches, I, I like these two together, and I like their abrasive nature that starts off, although I don't feel that at the end of the movie it is wanted that they come together as good friends but more of a sort of mutual respect to one another and I was kind of hoping that that would get taken a little bit further and we would see them build that more relationship yes they've had some turmoils in the first movie but I don't see a point where they, they ultimately come together and go you know like yeah you're right or you were right and, and I want to work with you it just seems to be thrown together haphazardly at the end where they need a first mate um, Spock comes in, yeah I'll do it Spock coming onto the bridge at the end and uh-huh. essentially offering his services essentially saying that hey you know what um, can I be your first mate it's it's kind mm-hmm. of in a sense his apology, it's kind of his bowing down to Kirk and saying you know what I respect you I'm going to let you be my captain um, so mm-hmm. to me that's that is the, the the thing that kind of, in one respect, you were asking for. Just, um, I think it is there. It's just, it's not, these these guys are never really going to turn around and say, "Yeah, you're right," because, and I think that's the the good way to play it is to always keep this, you know, underlying tension. They're they're friends. They respect mm-hmm. each other, but you know, and the, the the fact of the matter is as well, they're not the same Kirk and Spock from the original series yeah. because the, the the change in the timeline has fundamentally changed these guys from the ground up mm-hmm. um so yes i mean i mean and and that's a good way of explaining any away any differences that we do have uh, between these guys and the original crew but i think yeah overall the cast is spot on real spot on casting um a lot of people really praised Zachary Quinto's Spock when this first came out, and I think they were right to do so. But I think in that mm-hmm. praise, Chris Pine kind of got lost amongst it, and I think that's a shame okay. because I think what he does here with this character is absolutely fantastic. He takes a character that is so iconic, and he just injects new heart into it, new sincerity, I think. I mean... William Shatner was never going to win any awards for his acting ability. He was he was perfectly cast as Kirk. You know, he defined mm-hmm. that role. He 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 himself is defined by Kirk. But he's essentially playing something of himself there. Um like if you look in a lot of the other roles yeah. he's played, he he essentially plays the same thing each time. Whereas if you look at the career Chris Pines had so far, admittedly it's not the most long-running, but he's done quite a diverse number of roles. And I feel that with mm-hmm. this this part, with, with him taking on Kirk, he brings a bit more sincerity to it. Um he, he's acting, essentially. You know, he he's actually playing a role. He's he's going places 
as an actor that maybe he might not be comfortable with. He's not just being himself, so to speak. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. brings a certain freshness to the film that that, that is much needed if you're really going to take this franchise in a new direction. There's also as well, you've got the secondary characters, you've got Carol Urban and you've got Simon Pegg and Zoe Saldana, who, for me, they all were excellent as well. I particularly like Carol Urban as Bones. I, I think he kind of steals the movie. And it, it's strange because it feels like he's doing an impression of the original actor, whose name I can't remember. But yeah. yet, at the same time, it's just so heartwarming and you really feel the relationship between him and Kirk almost immediately as they join on the, the, the craft towards the, the Starfleet and they just look at each other, they see the way they're dressed and they share a little drink and they're just, that's a instant buddies for life and I just love that sort of play, interplay between these two characters. I just, Carol Urban, it was amazing and it's one of the characters I always was glad to see come back onto the, the screen. Yeah, and there's a lot of references in throughout the film, um, whether it's actual lines of dialogue or just the way characters act with each other that kind of harken. But if if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll know that it's like an in joke, um, and they play really well. They don't feel forced. It actually works to build character in this film on its own terms. So, like when McCoy first kind of encounters Spock, he, he says to Kirk, like, that, you know, I like that guy. And and if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll know that actually those... He hated Spock throughout the series and throughout mm-hmm. the films. He couldn't stand him. He called him a pointy-eared whatever, um, and which is what he does later on in the film. So, you, you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you start to see these first introductions with each other and they kind of... They're not they don't have the relationships with each other that we know they will have. They start off, like, each of them as opposites to what we know they will become. And and that's part of the beauty of the film. That's part of the enjoyment of it, is seeing, okay, how do we get these characters from, from this to where we know they're going to end up? Um, and, of course, you can always take it in a different direction anyway, because, like we say, it's a new timeline. These are different characters. Their trajectories are going to be completely different. Which is, I, that's one of the plot points. That one of the 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 angles they took on this writing, doing this, I really loved because as a Trekkie, like you know, like not me, but like people who are Trekkies, I could kind of mm-hmm. understand why they may may get a little bit annoyed by it because they've essentially just had yeah. all of their history with the Trek universe wiped out. But, (laughs) you know, it it doesn't take that away. It doesn't remove that. That still has existed. Um, So you can still have that and enjoy it. But this gives us a clean slate. It allows us to go, you know, to start from scratch. Uh, And what what better way to do it? I thought it was an ingenious way of doing it. And a really ballsy way of doing it as well. Because they do some things in this film that you wouldn't think they'd have the balls to do. Like... Wiping out Vulcan like that, yeah. boom, Vulcan's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I love about this film is, as well, is the weight that that has on Spock as a character. Um, we get this little monologue from him at one point when he says that he he 
he's talking about what it feels like to suddenly become part of an endangered species and you really feel the mm. weight of it uh, and there's there's one moment a moment i particularly love in the film when old spock is basically he's trying to insinuate to kirk that he, he can get young spock to lose his rag to lose his temper mm-hmm. um, which will thereby kind of bring his command into question because he's emotionally compromised and he, there's a line of dialogue he uses with kirk where he he says i've just seen my homeworld destroyed i am emotionally compromised and he's not just talking about himself he's talking about himself mm-hmm. so he's talking about both yeah. you know he knows that because mm-hmm. he's emotionally compromised his younger self is definitely emotionally compromised and it's just it's a really nice moment which kind of shows the gravity of what has just happened so they don't mm-hmm. brush it under the carpet they deal with it in a way that i that i I'm, i find really satisfying what about simon Pegg's character of scotty he seems to be there um, as a kind of almost comedic relief as well in the movie and a bit of a, a dodgy accent as well um, but he has that sort of small alien <laughs> that he's always talking to and, and uh, <clears throat> telling what to do and, and, and pushing around type of thing but I kind of grew to love the Scotty character within this movie and at first, the first watch I found him to be quite sort of abrasive and in your face in a different tone from what we've seen in the rest of the movie don't get me wrong there is some humour in the rest of the movie as well but I just felt that it was it was mainly that character's focus was to be kind of funny yeah it's it's um, a broad humour isn't it I mean I, I think yeah like w- without him I think the film is still very funny, still very entertaining. There's a lot of exchanges yeah. between, like you say, McCoy and Kirk, which are really funny. Mm-hmm. Whenever those two are on screen together, you do get humour coming out. I think Scotty is a lot more broad kind of humour, slapstick kind of stuff. And to be honest, it's a bit hit and miss. I, it, it doesn't always hit its mark. Sometimes it's funny. But I think, again, that can hinge on the accent because... When you know someone isn't, you know, Scottish or you know whatever nationality they're trying to portray, you're always listening to their accent. So it's like I like Simon Pegg. I, I think he's a really good actor, yeah. but because I know he isn't Scottish, when he's coming at me with this Scottish accent in inverted commas, uh, he. I spend half my time listening to that and trying to decipher whether it is actually a decent accent or not, um, which is a problem for me. Again, that's something that can take me out of the movie. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, I yeah I like him. I like he's, he's not my favourite character in the film, uh, but then Scotty never was in the originals either, um, and he he yeah. wasn't Scottish either, was he in the originals? The the original yeah. actor. If I, if I'm not mistaken, so I, I guess they're just adhering to the the template that was set in the original, which is to get a non-Scottish actor to play a Scottish character. the The only other the other only other thing I'd talk about is Zoe Saldana as well. I think mm-hmm. she's let down a little bit by the script in the sense that typically. Yeah. Because she's the woman, they've got to make her sexy. They've got to do sexy things with her, you know, like when 
talking about the woman in green, the, the green-skinned woman with Kirk, yet again, we get that scene where Uhura comes in and she has to strip off, and it's just like, you know what, they they wouldn't do that with the male characters, not that I'd want them to, because I'm not that way inclined, mm-hmm. but I do feel for Zoe Saldana as an actor, because, you know what, they have the potential here to make Uhura a character that young girls or any girls for that matter could look up to on the big screen but you know it's a Hollywood film so we've got to do what they always do in a Hollywood film which is sexualize the female character I get it mm-hmm. you know I get why they do it it sells but it it's just it cheapens it a bit um, because I think elsewhere in the film she she does a good job um, performance wise yeah. but also the relationship between her and Spock I like the scene Mm -hmm. between her and Spock in the lift after Spock has just lost his homeworld and she goes in to the lift, follows him into the lift and tries to comfort him and and she she, Mm -hmm. there isn't much she can do. And again, that's another scene that what can you do? What could you do in that situation? If you lost your homeworld, what what does that do to a person? But you can see the pain that she is feeling for him. You can see how much she cares for this Vulcan. Um, mm-hmm. It just through her performance, through Saldana's performance. Uh, yeah, so I think she does a good job in that respect. Again, let down a little bit by the script, by the, the typical Hollywood ticks. But performance-wise, Saldana, cracking. Yeah, but I think as well as the character, she starts off really strong at the beginning of the movie, but when it gets to the final third... It's almost as if she gets forgotten about and replaced by a, a giant action scene. They've got too many sort of balls in the air almost, and she's one of the ones that just gets dropped in favour of one of the other actors. You've even got the uh, the Chekhov part who takes over in the final third when he starts to transport people. Um, you know he takes a major say act- place in the action scenes, and like say Saldana kind of gets forgotten about, but she's great up to then, and she's a really interesting addition and a much better reboot of a character than you would have hoped for like from the, the original series where she pretty much was just you know sexualized like you say but this was a chance to sort of break from that mold and, and she has a part an initial part of the team but that scene like you said of having her stripping off just totally sort of strips the character away you know it takes away the fact that she's one of the smartest members of the team that she's multicultural and knows all these different alien races and languages and strips her basically down to how does she look and it's probably a misstep on the maker's behalf and it's a scene that could easily have been cut there's no need for it to be like that at all yeah it it really undermines it it undermines it yeah Um, because I I get that they're trying to set up this potential romance between her and Kirk which is then going to be undercut by the fact that actually she's in love with the one guy that he can't stand but you don't need to have this scene in the bedroom in order to do that. We, you know, we got the scene in the bar. We have him trying to get her name in other scenes. That's all you need. So that scene did feel a little bit perfunctory, other than the fact that they obviously give that information away about that that he then later uses to figure out that you know it's a yeah. it's a trap by by Nero. Um, but again, you know, they could have done that any number of ways. They didn't have to do it via a, something of a sexual no. nature. And it's no. not explicit, you know, we're not talking porn here, but it's just, it's just in the modern world, you know, when we've got characters like Katniss Everdeen mm-hmm. on screen, 
do we really need to be taking a, a property like Star Trek, which is all about being multicultural, all about looking at, you know, different genders, different, you know, whatevers, uh, everyone, everyone being equal, so to speak. Do we really need to be putting mm-hmm. this scene in? And, and you know, Abrams yeah. did it again with Into Darkness. So there was that big... Mm-hmm. There's a big like furor o- over the uh, the scene mm-hmm. with Alice Eve where she strips off and it, and it, it's true it's like you know I, I people kicked off over that and I don't really understand why they didn't kick off with it here because it's mm-hmm. no different to me I think I think it plays the same here when Saldana has to do it so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's again a minor mm-hmm. quibble but it's there probably one of the the other main characters we really need to touch on was Eric Banner as a uh, Nero, the Romulan sort of bad guy in this movie. Um, what was your opinion on, on him and his part within the movie? I think there needs to there needed to be just maybe one more line of dialogue in the you know when they're setting up his story, his why he's so mm-hmm. brassed off with uh, yeah with Spock. <laughs> They they need they needed to set up why he was so brassed off with Spock a little bit better because and and literally just one line one line of dialogue would have fixed it, which is that when we're talking about when Spock promised to save Romulus, I think they could have dropped a line of dialogue in there about how maybe they had time to evacuate the planet. But because mm-hmm. Spock said he could save them, they didn't. Mm-hmm. So, so that would mean that Nero, you know, he he knows that, so he holds him responsible. But the the reasons for why Nero holds Spock responsible are just really flaky because all Spock did was really try and help. There was no, you know, mm-hmm. he, yeah. It's not his fault that it happened. They knew that was going to happen. All Spock did was try and get there and, and stop it from happening. So if you take Spock out of the equation, if he hadn't have tried to help them, the planet still would have been destroyed anyway. So you needed to put a line of dialogue in there, something to say that actually the reason people stayed on Romulus was because of Spock, was because he promised that he could save them. Um, which which then would put the the onus the, the blame kind of on Spock, and I think that needed to happen, and it, and it, it's not there. So as a result, the motivations for Nero become a little bit meh. Now, as as for mm. Eric Banner's portrayal of the character, I really like Eric Banner as an actor. Um, for anyone who's yeah. seen Munich, uh, that's my favorite Steven Spielberg film, by the way. I think he's great in that. I also think he's fantastic in Chopper. If if you've not seen Chopper, check out that for a performance. Um, but yeah, I, I like him here as the villain. I think he he does the job that the script requires of him. Um, mm-hmm. Any deficiencies in the character, I would not blame on him, but the script um, for the reasons I've just stated. No, I, I think he does well, and I think he... Is- it's not an over-the-top villainous role. It's a kind of subdued performance. You know, he's he's, he's vengeful. He knows what his target is, and he's just sort of working towards it. And it, it it's almost like a, a sort of afterthought that he's not had his story um, expanded on. Because I think most of the focus in this movie is is setting up the Enterprise, setting up the new characters, 
their, their interactions and the bad guys almost almost neglected too much but I do like some of the visions or the way the ship looks how it, just the whole look of the thing it's like a giant space squid or something really weird and it just dominates the space or the screen whenever it's, it's on the screen with the other ships there and I just felt that little bit more character development could just have made this a really strong villainous role rather than the almost kind of sidelined villain part that it is I'd reiterate what you said about the ship I think the design of the ship is really monstrous it it, it does have a way of instilling a sense of fear in you I think as you know if you were in that situation looking upon it uh, it is it is quite a beast of a ship um there's there's a few notes one of the minor quibble I guess I'd have and this this really is minor it's just like something I noticed at the start of the film is some of the alien designs are not that great like s- some of them they've mm-hmm. really done a good job on which kind of makes you wonder why they do a half-assed kind of lazy job with some of th- some of the others. Are you talking about the girl that they've just painted green for some reason? Uh, no, not that one, because I know that's a reference to the original series, which was, which was a nice little ah. in-joke. But like at the beginning mm. on the Kelvin, we see this alien woman, mm-hmm. and she's basically just a normal woman, only she's got big eyes and they're in a weird place. Yeah. And it, it just it mm. feels... When she turns and she looks at the camera... I don't know, it just it felt a bit cheap as far as alien design goes. It felt a bit like, what can we do with this woman? Just make her eyes a bit weird and she's an alien. It's like she didn't even need to be an alien, really. It was just, mm-hmm. yeah. It, 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 like I said, it's not, it's not like a major problem for me. It doesn't make me want to you know, trash the movie. It's just little things like that are just like, yeah, you know, you didn't need to do that. You could have saved the that little bit of budget that you used to make that woman's eyes go a bit weird and, and just not bothered, really. Um, there is a, a couple of things in there, for, well, one in particular, for fans of J.J. Abrams, people who, who know his work, he's kind of obsessed with putting these red balls into into his work so like in alias yeah. there was this giant red ball that, Rambaldi. W- that could yeah yeah it, it would have the potential to destroy the world and here we have the same we have this red matter and it literally looks like the red ball out of alias um so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a jj abrams thing um the the red matter itself i know a lot of people do complain about it because it's no explanation given for for its power and 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 for what it even is it's just it's a macguffin basically they need this macguffin Mm -hmm. this this weapon so they come up with this red matter and you know you you can let that bother you or you can just go along for the ride and say you know what screw it they need that macguffin Mm -hmm. fine let them have the macguffin um which which i do I'm, i'm willing to go along with things it's just you know minor things things that make me laugh so like when chekhov is talking to the computer and the computer can't yeah. quite understand him because of his accent i just find that really funny uh the the scene with the hands when when kirk's given the virus yeah, by bones and his hands all balloon up I've, i just found that hilarious again zoe saldana's reaction when she sees it her reaction is priceless she's she's a really good actress yeah. um, I, I i like what she does with the role when she's given the chance to do it 
Um, and the scene with <coughs> Kirk in the bar where he, where Pike comes in and, and does that whistle, uh, the military whistle thing, and then uh, and Kirk's just like, you can whistle really loud, you know? It's just, it's little things like that that just makes me laugh throughout. It's, mm. It is a really entertaining film. And despite the quibbles that we've mentioned here, Mm-hmm. It, I, I love it from start to finish. It's, it, it moves along at a real breakneck pace. The action in it is beautifully shot. Um, the adrenaline is always going. But the action scenes also function to build character, which, which is beautiful. I, if, if you watch the action scenes, there's always something going on in them that is building character, and that is the perfect mm-hmm. way to do an action movie. So a lot of people, I think put off by the fact that it is very heavily action driven but it is also very heavily character driven so yeah a really good film i mean i found it to be a real success and it's something that holds up repeatedly on rewatches like you said there's some niggles and it's something that you can either you know just throw away to the side or you can really dig into it if you want but it's best just to ignore it and take the movie as it comes it's got some fantastic uh, action set pieces like you said it's got some great moments of levity with the humour like all the way through it and I found like, say, especially at the start when uh, it's got wayward Kirk in it like some of his throwaway lines were absolutely hilarious the movie looks fantastic it looks really clean it's colourful alright it's got thousands of lens flares everywhere you look <laughs> but that was an aesthetic choice and again is that going to ruin your movie watching you know if it does I don't know what to say to you if if you can get by that. It's just an aesthetical choice. Um, yeah. It annoyed me at first, but I quickly forgot about it once I started to get into the characters and their relationships. Um, and I think that's what the movie really succeeds on, building this core group of characters, creating relationships that you actually buy into and you're interested to see them evolve. You like all these characters. And that's what really... I wanted to come back to see another version of it for, to see these people back together. I wanted to see them succeed in this movie. I didn't want to see any of them perish in any way, shape or form. I liked this core and I thought the movie was, like I said, a success. I really enjoyed it. And it's not something that when you put on to rewatch that you're skipping by parts. Every part of the movie seems essential in some way and and you want to pay attention to it. And for a two hour movie, not to really lose your attention on the fourth, fifth, sixth time you watched it, I think that's a, a great achievement. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw this film, just, I was blown away by it. It was like, I can't remember what else was out that year, but I, th- I think it was certainly in my top three films, and I, I gave it a 10 out of 10, when I, cause I, like, I, when I score on my channel, Brian Lomax Movie Talk, I score out of 10, um, and yeah, I would have given it a 10 out of 10, because I came out with like my mind blown, I just thought, wow, that is fantastic action film obviously I've watched it many more times since then and those niggles that we have talked about throughout the show you know they they have kind of popped up as I as I've watched the film on consecutive viewings which has dropped my mark a little bit um but like I'm literally talking a little bit so I think if I was to grade it now I would still give it a nine out of ten I think this is a quality film quality sci-fi fantasy film um, and great for Trekkies and non-Trekkies alike. 
Yeah, and just just to be different from you, Brian, because that's that's my uh, awkward nature. I rate my uh, movies out of five on my channel, but I'll equate them into uh, marks of ten as well. Um, I really enjoy Star Trek. I, th I think it's a fun movie. It's something that I, I do like to to watch every now and again to get my my sci-fi fix. Um, and I would give it four out of five or an eight out of ten. It's a good solid movie, um, and it's something I enjoy revisiting. Now, as for the sequel, did you enjoy the sequel? Did you like that? Now, I've got a feeling that while this first film has gone slightly down in my estimation since my original viewing, like I say, not a lot, I've got a feeling that Star Trek Into Darkness may go slightly up in my estimation. I was not as sold on Into Darkness when I first watched it as I was on the first film. I thought it was a step down. I thought it was a considerable step down. I'd still, I still gave it an 8 out of 10 when I first watched it, but I, I felt that it was just a little bit too... I felt like it wanted to go for that Dark Knight kind of vibe. There's a lot of other films that came after The Dark Knight that really seemed like they were trying to ape it, like Skyfall, Law Abiding Citizen, just like films that were trying to play on the idea of this super criminal who's smarter than everyone and is kind of just arranging things in such a way that, you know, they're just so super intelligent people can't really catch them. Um, and I, f I felt like they were going for that kind of vibe to, to the point where... I, I kind of saw a lot of the plot points come in um, when I didn't feel like I should have done. Like I, I, I anticipated Khan. Well, we knew Khan, he was going to be Khan. I don't think anybody was under any kind of illusions that he wasn't going to be Khan, but I, I kind of had this feeling he was going to pop up at the, at the time that he did and kill all of the Starfleet officers. I, I knew long before it came out that those torpedoes were going to have people in them that they were going to I, I just I could sense it and I don't know what it was it's you know I'm not I'm not a super intelligent guy but I think just my my knowledge of of Trek previous and just I, I guess my knowledge of films in general I, I sensed it coming I knew there was going to be people in those torpedoes the clones um, and that it would tie into Khan um, and the, the whole Tribbles thing, that was such a signpost. It was signposted a mile off that Kirk would be resurrected by the Tribble because of, you know, because of that scene that you see when the Tribble kind of, yeah, it was just, it was a bit, yeah, for me, just, just because I saw so much coming. Um, now I do, I do recall watching it a second time on DVD and I do think I enjoyed it quite a lot more because I think when you watch mm -hmm. a film a second time you kind of let things go you just, you, you're just you just letting it wash over you rather than trying to really pay attention um, and I think the fact that I was really trying to pay attention the first time kind of made me anticipate the things that I did in the way that I did um, so yeah, I I don't know, I think I think it's a film that I really do need to see again, um, but certainly mm. on first viewing, I didn't rate it as highly as the first one. I thought it was a bit of a step down, um, despite having maybe a better villain, a more fleshed out villain, shall we say. Um, I've only seen it the once, and that was when it first came out in the cinema. Um, I've recently picked it up in Blu-ray, and I'm, I'm planning to watch it again, especially after watching this one, but from what I remember, 
it wasn't as instantly likeable as this one was. It didn't have the city charisma that most of the first Star Trek had. But I think the main problem was is it was equated to The Wrath of Khan, which is generally regarded as, as one of the best Star Trek movies. And it, it spun a few different ways. And because it was so intricately tied to go to a, to that movie, people didn't want that. They didn't. They wanted a little bit of homage to Can. They didn't want a, a full new storyline. Even though this is a new universe, like we said in our, in our review, and it was darker. And I think, it, like yourself, I think it could be far better on a rewatch. And I think once you've you've let most of these things slide away, and you've got some distance between all the sort of midway reviews that it received or the negative reviews. Once that baggage has been left behind and you're sitting down in the comfort of your home rewatching a movie, you're a lot more forgiven of certain things and you can find things that you certainly enjoy in the movie. And I really like Benedict Cumberbatch and I'm really interested to watch it again because that must be about three, four years since the last one was out and I'm, I'm really curious just to check it out. But I think I may quite like it as well. may not be as good as this Star Trek, the one that was out in 2009, but it could still be a very good movie. I am a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. I love him in Sherlock, and I do like uh, some of the films he's done. But I actually I couldn't warm too much to his performance as Khan because the way he delivered his lines was very, I don't know, very theatrical. It was very, like, kind of over the top. He, he was very pronounced and slow mm-hmm. with his speech. And it, yeah, it put me off a little bit, to be honest. Um, a lot of people were singing his praises at that time, and I wasn't overly familiar with him at that point because I, I hadn't seen Sherlock um, by then. Uh, so yeah, like that was one of the first roles I was I'd seen him in. Um, I just I knew about him just from all the buzz he was getting. A lot of people were talking about him, saying he was the best thing since sliced bread. Um, so when I saw Into Darkness, I, I wasn't going in as a, you know, a huge Cumberbatch fan, and so I, I wasn't overly keen on his performance in it. Um, it was only, like I say, after checking out like Sherlock Holmes and, and a few of the other things mm-hmm. they'd done that I think when I saw it on the second time, I had more of an appreciation for him as an actor, um, so maybe I let things slide a bit more the second viewing but if I'm being honest the first time I saw it I wasn't sold on him as this great actor that most people kind of credit him as Um, but yeah I do still think he's a very good actor now you know after seeing much more of his body of work. What about the upcoming uh, Star Trek Beyond are you excited for this movie? I am excited for it yeah I, I think the first trailer we got wasn't um, particularly great with regards to the tone that it put out, but I think the more recent trailer we've had is yeah, it's more like it. You know, it's it gives us more of of what we've kind of come to expect, I guess, from the J.J. Abrams movies. And I think Justin Lin is a good choice as director if they can get a script that is as good, if not better, than the two previous ones then I think Justin Lin can prove himself to be a good choice because if you look at the way he directs action, his Fast and the Furious stint um, has has proved that he is a great action director. Uh, if nothing else, he certainly knows how to shoot action set pieces. So if you couple that together with 
a cast that are now familiar with each other they know how each other work they've kind of got a second language with each other and you you know you put it with a good script as well then I, yeah i think i I'm, I'm hopeful i'm very hopeful and i know that simon pegg has had something to do with the script for this one so that that to me fills me with confidence as well because he's one he's a trekkie and two he's a good writer the the stuff that he's written in the past has been you know fairly decent Mm. I think the movie looks uh, a lot more colourful like much like the first movie did it's lost that sort of dark tint that they had in the second movie the action looks great I'm a great fan of Idris Elba so to see him and the trailer was was brilliant, although it took me a, a second to recognise his voice. Um, I think he's going to be the main bad guy in this. Um, the action, I'm confident the action's going to be fantastic. Um, Simon Pegg's actually the main screenwriter on this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I had a feeling. Like you said, I'm, I'm, that, that, that could be a very good thing. Um, although in the trailer it does have Scotty sort of mimicking the young Kirks dive out the car. You know, and it's got the same music that was set in that scene as well. It's got the Beastie Boy sabotage as well. It's just a nice little nod to the, the first movie as well. So I'm I'm really excited for this movie. Actually, that's why I was quite happy to revisit Star Trek. I'm slowly working up. I'll get the second one, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this third one in the big screen. Okay, so we're looking at our top five Star Trek movies. I'll go first. My number five is Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Mine is Generations. Right. Uh, my number four <laughs> is Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Oh, blimey! It's quite yeah. low, I've got to say. Uh, mine's actually the the Wrath of Khan remake into darkness. Yeah, despite despite my comments earlier that I didn't enjoy it as much as the first Star Trek, that that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah, Into Darkness is my number four. Uh, my number three is Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams one. Oh, wow. Blimey. We've, we've really got a different list here then. Uh, First Contact <laughs> is my number three. Ah. Funny you should say that. My number two is First Contact. Uh, okay. Uh, so my number two is Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And my number one is Star Trek Four. The Voyage Home. <laughs> I like the whales. I like the one with the whales. It's all about the whales. Uh, no, my, my number yes. one is Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams uh, film. Oh, wow. The one we've just discussed. Yeah, actually my favourite yeah. Star Trek film. Good stuff. That's, that's, at least we've got a bit of a difference there. You don't like the whales, Brian. <laughs> oh, I love the whales. I'm all about the whales. I just... <laughs> it's It's... I'll, I'll say this. Oh, good grief. I'll say this. It's not dated that mm-hmm. well. It's a bit of a time capsule of yeah. a movie. If you, if you want to look at a bit of 80s culture, throw in A Voyage Spock. Home because, yeah. man, that, that film, yeah, it's dated. I do like it. i got to say I do. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, not as much as the other ones on my list. And... It, <sighs> Yeah, there's, there's actually a couple of other Star Trek films that I would still rate above that one. Um, Undiscovered Country being one of them, which was on your list. I, I do actually like that. Um, but yeah, uh, that's... There you go. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> so we'll just move on to the watch list section. A couple of movies that we've seen recently that you just want to talk about. Um, do you want to go first on this? Yeah, as, as far as new releases go, I, the most recent that I saw was Now You See Me 2, which, quite frankly, I was just bored by. Um, it, no, no. Oh, yeah. I, just, I, I, I know, I read your review on Letterboxd, actually which is kind of why I wanted to single this one out, because I knew you, you would have that reaction. Um, yeah, I I just found it dull. And see, I have a problem because the film hinges on the ability to convince us of these magic tricks that they're performing. But every magic trick that they perform hinges so much on special effects and actually not being able to see how they did it that it just it loses me i don't care like the first film at least for about two-thirds of the magic tricks they kind of at least gave you an inkling as to how they did them so they set up this illusion it looks unbelievable but then they show you how they did it and to me that's fair enough that's good but with this one it's just like they do things but they just do them and you're supposed to just say it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, is how I would explain it, is that they can do whatever they want in this film and just explain it away as, actually, you know what, these guys are just really good at magic. So it's just... It, it, it's not good enough. It's lazy writing for me, um, and it takes the enjoyment out. And I didn't like the so-called humour in it. I, I never really laughed during the film and I got the sense that it was trying to be humorous. It was trying to be that kind of film and I just didn't laugh. I Yeah. Sorry, didn't like it. Give it a four out oh, of ten. That, that, that's rather disappointing. I'm really uh, upset <laughs> to hear that because I'm, I'm looking forward to going to see it. I seem to be, well, to lead into my watch list, one of the movies I watched was Now You See Me, the first one. Yeah. And... Yeah. I seem to be one of the few people that gets a ridiculous amount of enjoyment out of this movie, no matter how many times I watch it, it just, it suckers me in. And it is like one of their magic tricks. It's all uh, style and uh, no substance. And I know that, and I know that the, the, the problems that the movie has, but I just don't care, because I like the people, even though they're not particularly nice, and I just like... The storyline, I don't know why. It's one of these movies that I can't explain my unabashed love for it. But I simply do love the movie. I will say that I did enjoy the first one. I actually gave the first one a 7 out of 10. It is something that I could watch again. Um, not this one. But the, the problem is that when you live in a world where Christopher Nolan is making a film like Inception, which is a high-concept heist movie, but each level of the heist, each each scene is it's it's not just about pulling a heist. It's it's also about the human psyche. It's about the the mind and how it works and psychology. So you know what I mean. It, it, he does something with that heist that is more than just Ocean's Eleven. It's more than just going in and pulling off a clever heist. Whereas this film doesn't have that. It is literally about the tricks. Hey, let's do some magic tricks and pull a heist, and it's like, oh, aren't we great? But you don't really show us how you did those tricks. So we as the audience mm. are just kind of left on the outside of it all. So at the end, you get to the end of it, and it doesn't really amount to much. 
So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's unfair to compare it to Inception, but that was, for me, the, the closest comparison I could think of when I'm trying to think of, well, actually, how do you do a, a high-concept heist movie right? What should you be aiming for? And this film fails miserably in doing that. Well, that's a bit of a downer. <laughs> you get anything else on your watch list there, Brian? Uh, Independence Day Resurgence. Um, Got to say, it's not been a good month for movies. Independence Day Resurgence, again, is another film that just bored me. And the the reason for that with this one was the characters. Now, if you go back to the original, they cast personalities. They cast people in the roles that really fit personalities. So like you, you're casting Will Smith in that film, you're not getting him to play a character, you're getting him to play Will Smith. You get Jeff Goldblum in, he's doing what Jeff Goldblum does, which I really like, and he brings that here to this film as well. Basically, this film is good whenever Jeff Goldblum is in it. Unfortunately, there are so many new characters that they're trying to trying to get us to, to be on board with, get us to like, that just have no charisma whatsoever and no, just, just no personality in the way that Goldblum and Smith did in that original film. Uh, you know, and hell, even Bill Pullman, for crying out loud, Bill Pullman was was full of personality in that film. So, and and that's just not here. It's it, yeah, it's just a really big disappointment. They're asking us to go along with these like three characters in particular that I just could not care less about. The special effects are fantastic. Big improvement on the first film, I should expect, being twenty years on, but. You're going to need to give me more than great special effects to, you know, to to get me on board. I want characters mm. that I can identify with, and I just don't have them in this film. Another movie that I recently watched was the Coen Brothers Fargo. I watched it a couple of days ago. I haven't seen this movie in, I'm going to say something like seventeen years. So I had a faint, very faint memory of this movie. And when I sat down to watch it, I think I completely missed the point of this movie the first time around. Completely missed it. Because when I watched it this time, it was an out-and-out comedy for me. And I was riveted from start to finish and found almost everything in this movie absolutely hilarious. And when I think back to what I thought of it before, I just want to go back in time and give myself a slap. But I can't, so we'll forget about that. But Everything in this movie was terrific. The dialogue, the, the sort of, um, situational humour, just the silly things I just loved. Like when you've got Marge Gunderson, the, the sort of pregnant policewoman introduced, and um, she's out in the middle of the road looking at the dead bodies, and you've got this other deputy with her who's just standing there watching this pregnant woman do all the work, just going, be careful, Marge, be careful. Just the silly things that I just had me rolling about laughing. It was brilliant. And everything that Steve Buscemi says in the movie should be on a T-shirt. It was just yes, absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that I watched this again. And I tell you, it won't be as long until I watch it again. An absolutely masterpiece of movie making. Fantastic. It is a great film. I mean, like just the way they're able to take what should be insanely dark things 
and just bring humour out of it. Like seeing him stick that leg into the wood chipper at the end. It's it's just <laughs> it's 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 insanely dark. It's gruesome, but you can't help but laugh mm-hmm. because of the idiocy of, of, of these clowns operating. And that's what Coen brothers do quite often is they, they make films about stupid people doing stupid things and getting stupid results. And it's just like you place one intelligent character, in this case Marge Gunderson, into the centre of all of this, of these stupid people doing stupid things. And it's just like, yeah, it's it's just, it's a classic film. It's, it's absolutely brilliantly written and brilliantly acted as well. I love Frances McDormand mm-hmm. in it. She's real class act in this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, have you any more on your watch list you want to talk or are you, you happy with that uh, one more I guess that is worth a mention is, is, is an older film it's a Akira Kurosawa film it's called High and Low now Akira Kurosawa is known primarily for his samurai epics but this is a cop thriller like a procedural thriller it's about a kidnapping gone wrong uh, basically the kidnapper kidnaps the wrong child he, he means to kidnap this rich man's child but instead he kidnaps the child of this rich man's driver instead so this rich man is then left with this moral decision does he pay up the ransom to get this child out from from the kidnappers or does he say you know what i'm washing my hands of it it's not even my child do one um, and and he makes the right choice. This this, this isn't so much a spoiler because this is kind of the setup. He makes the right choice. He chooses to pay the ransom, but the rest of the film is really about the the results of that. You know what what are the moral implications? I guess like you know like it, it's a class thing. It's all, the film is about class. This this rich man who's actually doing the moral thing when really most people would look at him and think, oh, he's, he's, he's a money man, he's, he's probably the most immoral person ever. And then you get the guy who's like at the bottom, the guy who's from the slums, he's the kidnapper. You kind of, I think maybe the character that traditionally you would probably sympathise with because he, he's in poverty, he, you know, he is the one that we might be made to identify with. It's just, yeah, it, just, it raises a lot of moral questions and like with the way the police operate as well. And this is very much a film I could imagine David Fincher having directed. Um if if, if he if you know, if he was back making films um in the sixties or whatever, I could imagine David Fincher making something like this. Just because of the meticulous attention to detail, the the way that the police procedure is 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 all kind of run. It reminds me very much of Zodiac, his film Zodiac. Uh, yeah, a really good film. Something I'd give an eight out of ten. A very, well, possibly an eight point five out of ten. Um, if you like Kurosawa, or maybe you're not even familiar with Kurosawa's work, this is definitely a good film to kick off with. I think. Uh, that's one that's been on my watch list for a long while. Something I'm really interested in. So I'll make sure and get to that at some point. Um, one other movie that I'm just going to throw in, and it was one of those ones where you're sitting at night, there's nothing really on, you start flicking through a streaming service to see what you can find, and I stumbled across a movie called No Escape. Have you seen this one? Rings a bell. Tell, tell me a bit it's, more about it. Um, 
It's about Owen Wilson, him and his uh, wife oh, and yes, two kids. Are, yes. I've not I've not seen it, um, but a friend of mine on YouTube, uh, Dave from Durant Cinema, it was his favourite film of the year. <laughs> when he did his top ten, well, he put it as his favourite. It's funny you say that. It's, I had seen the trailers for it, and it looked a bit as generic as a movie could get. It looked like the yeah. typical thing that you could guess everywhere it was going to go. And for the first 10, 15 minutes, it generally went along that way. The family moved to Asia. They were based up in a hotel, and then the next day there is a coup. The president is, is killed, and they start killing all the foreigners in their country. And, my God, does it hit the fan. And in such a way that it almost takes the legs away from you, and it builds this tension that you're riveted to the screen to see what's going to happen to them. And it's not based in a action movie sense where people are making bold decisions and gambling and paying off that they're, they're trying to save their kids they're trying to make sure that these people do not get to their family and the sheer tension in some of the scenes was outrageous and it's really well done and I was so surprised at how good the movie turned out to be it gets a little bit formulaic towards the end when uh Pierce Brosnan's character appears in it and he turns out to be a kind of spy almost who helps him out and that's when it starts to get a little bit convoluted but there's this 40 minute period of sustained tense pressure on this family that absolutely had me biting uh, the nails on my hands with just worry about what was going to happen to them and it's it's not often you can see that in a movie because usually you can guess people are going to be safe people are going to be uninjured but I was generally fearing for this family and what was going to happen to them. It was a, a great flick that I had no expectations that it was going to be as good as that. It was just something to fill time. And it was wholly enjoy- enjoyable. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to have to check that out then. Because I've, I've been curious, like I say, ever, ever since Dave made it his, his, <laughs> the top of his... Uh, uh, list for last year I, I was like I was a bit curious but I was also a bit dubious because I was like is, is he just messing yeah. with us because I saw those trailers <laughs> so but yeah you know, I, I wouldn't say it's the best movie it of the year um, yeah. it, it's nowhere near the best movie of the year but it does have it is well made that's the best way I can put it maybe the most surprising movie of the year could be yeah Okay, so for next month's movie, I have decided to choose Terminator 2. Again, this is something that I've not seen in years, and with this being the 25th anniversary of the release of the movie, I really want to go back and revisit it. I know it's going to be good. I know it's not going to be deteriorated that much. It's still held in regard as one of the best action movies ever made. And I just, I'm I'm really quite excited to come back and see this, especially after last year's uh, Genesis Terminator 5 whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, (laughs) I think it'd be good to go back and see Terminator 2. So for the top five next episode, I have chosen top five Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners. So get your thinking cap on, and I'll be back is off the table. Let's get a little bit more creative with this one. Yeah, if, if, if... Yeah, if you liked this podcast, if you enjoyed listening to us and you want to hear more from us, you know, that's great. But please, 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 we cannot stress enough. Reviews on iTunes make all the difference. If you liked what you heard, just spend five minutes, not even that, just go on iTunes, 
rate us out of five, hopefully give us a five out of five, and just say a few words in the comments, you know, just, just give us a, a, a couple of sentences review, because that really does help us bump, bump us up um, in, in the iTunes kind of selection process. Uh, so yeah, please do that, help us out, and we'll be eternally grateful to you. And you can find myself at Man V Film YouTube channel where you'll find me rambling about other new releases and typical things like Amazon Top 10s and Netflix Top 10s and pretty much Top 10s about anything, to be fair. Brian, what's the name of your channel again? Yeah, you can find me at Brian Lomax Movie Talk. Again, that's movie reviews, Top 10s, Top 5s, uh, and the three shows that I mentioned at the start, Letterbox Sundays, IMDb Profiles, and Movie Night Film Commentaries. So if you happen to pop along to the YouTube channel, just leave us a comment in one of the boxes. Let us know that you listened to the podcast and, and that's where you came from, just so we know. And in the show notes, you'll be able to find all our social media links, our Facebook, our Twitter, Instagram, whatever we've got. And feel free to pop along, follow, make a comment. Again, let us know where you, you found us, if you found us on this podcast. Just let us know in the comments. And we will see you next time on Brits on Flicks. transfer to I just did a weird burp and <laughs> had a little throat croak um, <laughs> I'll start again. where are we <laughs> oh man <It's> just <laughs> arguments and tiffs throughout the movie and it's only because Spock Prime has said to Kirk you know like, you're going to be good friends with us that he takes it in that kind of faith I've lost track of what I'm talking about <laughs> 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 Talking about the cast and I've run into something else. <laughs> Do you want to start again? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm honestly, I'm just, I was happy through that and I was I jumped from one point to another completely and I was like, I'm talking rubbish here. <laughs> talking absolute rubbish. And yeah, just like the fight scene in the bar. Oh, blame it. Hang on a sec. I'm going to have to cut you short. Uh, I've not got my batch of good dinner. It's about to. Uh... I do. Excellent. Jobs are good in.